Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Good morning. God is so good. As we were worshiping, actually, um, I just felt so strongly this verse in Exodus. I always hear it in my mind sometimes, and it just was so loud. And it's when Moses is debating with God about being sent back to Egypt to go get his homies there, you know? And he's having, and don't we do that? We should have this, oh, come on, do I really have to do it? And then he says this in this one, he says that Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us? For your presence amongst us sets us apart and you set us apart from all the other people on the earth. Then the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Vive Church, the Lord Himself will go with us from this place. And I was just reflecting over the many years. This was the first place Luke and I walked up those stairs and we were greeted with by Pastor Jana, who's our campus pastor in South Valley. And she was pregnant with her second child. Now they have four. Um, and so this was their second child. And I remember coming in and like 30 people had greeted me. And I was like, this place is really excited about life. And I would never in a million years thought that I would, I came in, I was still, I was practicing law. Luke and I were just, we liked church. It was okay, but it was something we did on Sundays. And to look now eight years later, how this house has transformed my life and what it's meant for my children who now exist. And I'm so glad that we get to leave this place, not sad, not, you know, thinking like the best is behind us. This was the pinnacle, but with full anticipation that this was the floor. And how many people are grateful for leadership that is going with us to this next decade that the same Pastor Adam and Pastor Kira that said yes to Vive Church in 2012 are the same Pastor Adam and Pastor Kira that is going with us into the next decade that as we align ourselves under their leadership, the same Lord that spoke through them is the same God that is coming to meet us there, that He has gone before us. Vive Church, our greatest days are ahead, not because we deserve but because He is good and the leadership of this house is good. And so we honour you, Pastor Adam, and we honour you, Pastor Kira, that that yes you said in Australia and those moments you were walking that field, Pastor Adam, and you were praying over this place and you were seeing, you saw my children, you saw Solo, you saw Clay. And as you prayed and you believed for the countless number of lives, the thousands that have given themselves to this altar, the eternities that have changed, we honour you in this moment and say the best is yet to come. Greater, greater is coming. And so Vive Church, I don't know about you, but I am fully expecting with anticipation what's ahead. And so today on our final installment in the JCC, the final preach for 38 minutes and 42 seconds, we're gonna look at a, at a topic that some of you may have avoided, to be honest, because it's not very, you know, like feel good if you really think about it. But I am determined today that if you are far from Jesus, today you make the decision to come to Him. And that if you grew up and you've said yes to Jesus and He's your Lord of Saviour, today's the day that you leave here with more fervency in your bones than ever before to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. The final judgment. Dun, dun, dun. 
It's what it's titled in my Bible. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious thrones. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the King will say, I will tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the King will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Today we're gonna look at hell and the devil. And in this installment, we are going to go and make sure that we have leaving this place a deep theological understanding about hell and the devil that will leave you not only wiser, awake, alert, but also empowered to take down the demonic forces of this world. So let's pray. Father, I thank You that You're in this place. I thank You that You are here so strongly that Your presence, Your holy presence is in our midst. We thank You, Lord, that Your Word was true yesterday, today and forevermore. That as the Word is preached, let truth reign in our hearts. Let truth bind any distraction. Let truth remove any blindness. Let the truth of Your Word resound louder in our minds. I thank You, Father, that You are speaking so clearly. And I pray, Father, that we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. In Jesus' Name, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, why don't we take a seat? Because I have a seat too. But you can high-five your neighbour and I'm going to sit for a little bit. But I have a feeling I won't be sitting long. Um, so when Pastor Adam asked me to preach on hell and the devil, not going to lie, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a pretty heavy one. You sure you don't want me to preach about chain breaking and the anointing of heaven? Or, and he said, nope, you got hell and the devil. And I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I will accomplish it. So I will preface this by saying, come back next week. We'll have a brand new building, new carpets, fresh paint. It'll be about heaven. It's going to be glorious. Let's go. Um, and today, what we're gonna do is prepare you though for the building, to prepare you for what you're about to hear because you don't actually get heaven without a theological concept of hell. You won't fully realize the gift that was purchased without an understanding of hell. In fact, you may call on God for your Savior and you understand that He saved you to do something, but do you understand what He saved you from? And so today we will unpack that in a way that I pray will leave you realizing the goodness of God is in the land of the living. 
I don't know what your experience has been. I know like sometimes, you know, when I do preach, I like to think of illustrations. And I was thinking, okay, what's been my, I've got no experience with hell and the state. I am a good Pentecostal girl. We don't play with Satan. We don't do anything with Satan. I, I am both Pentecostal, West African, um, Assemblies of God. Like there's a lot about my background that told me to flee even at the, at the mention of his name. We, I would flee. And so I think it's funny because what that, that has done is that um, C.S. Lewis talks about this is a book I read when I was in college called The Screwtape Letters. And in there, there's this passage where um, the, the protagonist that was talking and he's saying, like, basically, he says it this way, there are two equals and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in its existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive, unhealthy interest. Either we completely ignore that, na, 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 there's no devil, there's no hell. Or you get the other extreme, which is a complete paranoia that everything is the devil, that that music is the devil, that the Simpsons are the devil, that, oh, I know. Harry Potter, I, I to this day have not read Harry Potter. And I know, I know, I know. But it had the word, you know, like there's so much about it that like you just get so freaked out because you don't understand it. And so you just live this life where you're either in complete denial or you're in complete or too much credit is given. And I want to just talk to my southern brothers and sisters. I went to school in North Carolina. And if you put up this billboard for us right now, this is a, literally standing there. Yep, that's the Alabama. Anyone here from Alabama? There we go. Alabama in the house. This is on I-65, an interstate highway. And this is when you're driving. You've just had, you picked up some Bojangles, some In-N-Out burger. You're just talking to your, like, oh my gosh, how was school? And you look up and this is what you will see. Go to church or the devil will get you. And literally, as if you don't know what the devil is, like, here's a picture, okay? This is what's coming. Oh my gosh, could you, and look at that, that sickle thing that is old. Like, what are you, do, like, it, there's so much, so many questions arise from that. But I feel like in our understanding of the devil, in our understanding of hell, there are so many myths that we have and that we carry that he's this red little thingy or big thing, depending on where you grew up, that has horns and a pitchfork and has like, I, you sit on a throne of lies. It's from Elf the movie, but he sits on a throne of lies and he's in hell and he's got flames and all these little de demon minions are doing his bidding and he's just there, you know, the chief and, you know, because every story has a good and an evil and so he's the equal to God. He's the opposite to God, like where God is good, then we've got to have this devil that is evil. And we prop him up in a way that is actually disproportionate to what who he is. And so I'm going to try and unpack for us a good understanding of exactly who he is. And in doing so, I am praying that I bust open some myths, some myths about where hell is or what Satan looks like or that he's all powerful. As we go through, take notes, take the scriptures down, do your own study so that you can walk with confidence, understanding that devil has tried to pull a fast one on the saints. He's tried to pull a fast one on the world. And there's no reason, there's actually a very clear reason why he wants us to be a little bit uh, confused or deceived or naive about his existence. To understand really what's going on, I'm going to paint the picture of eternity into three acts. So God has been writing the story of humanity. He's been writing the story of our redemption. And I will break it down into three acts. The first act being the beginning and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you read this in Genesis 1.1 at the very beginning of the Bible. Go figure. 
And in that beginning, we learn a couple of things from that one line is that there were two realms. There was the heavens and there were the earth. And if you were here for week one, when we talked about the unseen realm, Pastor Adam unpacked for us that God had a counsel, that he wasn't just by himself, that there were created beings that were there with him, that it wasn't just like an isolated, this cloud up there with a little baby and a harp, that it was really, that the, the beauty of heaven is, can be unpacked. And we're gonna talk about that next week as well. But there was the reality that he created the earth and on the earth he took from the dust and put man in it and said, you are going to be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth and fill it. And basically he gave man the commission to take what is happening in the heavens and spread it on the earth. And he starts with a plot of land that he calls Eden. And he says, okay, here you go. I'm gonna put you in Eden and your job is to create this all over the world. And so we are busy doing that. He gets a wife, Eve, and she's there with him and they're naming animals and they're looking at plants and vegetations and they're living their best naked lives, naked and unashamed in the, out there. Come on, someone said, let's go. <laughs> okay, Pastor. All right, uh, have a moment for that. Okay, moving on. Um, so they're just living their best lives in Eden. And then usually we pick it up in Genesis 3, which is what I would say commences Act 2 that I'll title The Present which is the current realms that we have in existence today. And we begin it with Genesis 3, where we see Eve. Usually we, you know, boil it down to Eve ate a piece of fruit, and now we're all damned for all of time, and then we're going to hell. And that's pretty much when you summarize it, what people think when they hear the story about the fall of man. But I actually want to go further behind a little bit. And the first thing we actually see is this creature called the serpent. And when I would teach Sunday school, I would teach the kids, like the sneaky serpents. So if you see my girls and they're like, it's like, that's the way of talking about the serpent. But the serpent we come to understand as you read scripture is the devil. And the devil goes by various names. He's known as Satan. And the word Satan in Hebrew means the adversary or the accuser. It tells us in the Bible that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's like the worst district attorney of all time. He's just there telling all your cases, all your faults. And he, thanks, Pastor Adam. <laughs> I really thank you. <laughs> and he's just there accusing, and he goes by all these different names. He's known as the devil, the serpent, Beelzebul, the rule of the world, the prince of power of the air, and the evil one. But did you know that he didn't, he wasn't always called Satan, that every villain has an origin story? And in Ezekiel, he actually tells us his, and it says this, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white stone moonstone, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and emerald. And look, I don't know what all those different gems are, but they sound so fancy to me especially that emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. At his creation, this Satan that we call now the devil was actually called Lucifer. And his name means morning star. I know Lucifer, we hear it now. It's like, oh my gosh, like there's so many shows about it. I think there's a show called Lucifer. 
But at that time when he was created, as you can see, he was beautiful. He was set in jewels and he was actually an angelic being. He was set to do good, to have wisdom, to be in the presence of God. He had access to the holy mountain, which lets me know that he had like VIP access to get to God. And the, the thing that we also need to understand that I'm going to dispel the first myth is that Satan was created. And the created is always less powerful than the creator. Satan is not an equal power to God. He was created by God and at his inception had a good intent, but evil was found in him. And so the way that the enemy has tried to let us think and feel that he is all powerful, he's everywhere all at once is a complete and utter demonic lie. Satan cannot be all over the place. He can't be causing trouble in the Middle East and also causing your flat tire. He can't be annoying your grandmother in Alabama and also here with us in California. Sometimes some of the evil that we see is the result of satanic work. It is the result of him. And he works at the high levels of government. He works in the airwaves. He works through media. He does work on a large scale. But your day-to-day -day troubles in life is not because of the devil. The devil did not cause you to lose that job. The devil did not cause you to gain weight. The devil did not cause you to lose that relationship. It wasn't the devil's fault that you disregarded what the Word of God said and did what you wanted to do. It is not the devil that did it. And he's okay with you blaming him as long as you stay ignorant and stay in bondage to what is really happening. Because if I can let you blame racial issues, if I can let you blame sexual discrimination instead of things that's going on, then I find that you won't go to the true creator. I'm good that you won't go to the one that can actually set you free, that can say to you that I put a purpose inside of you that no man can shut. And so we have a generation walking on the earth today, blaming everyone and everything for their struggles, blaming the devil where it wasn't, he does not have the power to do it. He is defeated. And I love it because I see over and over again, Jesus exercises authority. If you call yourself Christian, you're calling yourself a little Christ. And so I look to the wilderness where Jesus was tempted to, by the devil. I look where he was tempted by Satan. And Satan came at him and said, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you are the son of God, well, if he's really with you. And I know, I know the first Adam failed. The first Adam failed on those questions. And Eve saw and she was like, I do want that wisdom. But let me tell you, the second Adam, Jesus sets a precedent for us that when we get questions, when our identity is questioned, we can say these words, get ye behind me, Satan, for you have the things in man in mind and not the things of God. There is an authority that comes with the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow, including Satan's. And so you don't have to be afraid. He's not the boogeyman under your bed. You've got the words and the power of God inside of your bones to declare what should be. And so he can't tell your future God makes that clear in Isaiah 46. He says, remember the things I have done in the past for I alone am God. And I don't know who needs to hear that right now. You've let some other things be God in your life. You've let some other things distract you. But God wants to remind you right now that He alone is God, that He alone is the author and the creator of all things, that all things were created by Him and for Him and for His pleasure. 
He said, I am God and there is none like me. Satan is not like me. The demons are none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. Satan can't read your mind. That psychic did not know your future. At best, they tapped into the demonic that probably was with you when you invited it in and watched what you did and then told the psychic. That psychic does not have the ability to tell the future. So you need to go and turn away from that and seek the one true God, the one person prophetic one, the one that can speak to your darkness and call out light, the one that said that I am the one that does all these things. There is only one God that is powerful. There's only one God that's on the throne. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the risen one. There is only one. And I'm here to remind everybody in here that His name will be glorified. He is on the throne. That there is nothing on this earth and under the earth that is more powerful than our God. I don't care what that circumstance is looking like. That He is. Oh, we're about to let some things on notice today. We're going to tell some things today. Pastor Adam did a brilliant message. There's so many messages. I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel years ago, and it's called The Devil Don't Know. And it's the first time, honestly, that I got the true revelation about the devil's limited ability. Because when you grow up in the church, there's a way we can sometimes glorify the devil by making everything about the devil. And so you get live this life where you're like, if my life isn't going right, then it must be the devil's fault. But the devil don't know. The best he can do is set traps for you and watch and see if you're going to fall into these traps. And if you do, then he's going to set another trap for you. But let me tell you that there is a God that lives. There is a God that reigns, that took every trap out of your way, that said, look to me and I will show you how to live. And so we have to understand that Satan was the originator of sin. Yes, Eve fell, but Satan was who brought sin into this world. And because of what he did, Satan, that hell had to be created. Because in front of a holy and glorious and loving king can no sin stand. And sometimes I think we have a familiarity with sin in our culture. We don't just want to talk about it. We actually want you to affirm it. And if you don't affirm it, then you're a bigot. But I'm here to tell you that in front of a glorious king, in front of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, there is no tolerance for sin. For he is holy and he has called us to be a holy people. And holy does not mean that you're perfect and you do things perfectly, but you walk with an understanding that we have been set apart, that when God caused you to come out from the dust and He breathed His life into you, that He put purpose for you to fill the earth and subdue it so that you can look on earth and see heaven. And so if you are holy, if you've been set apart for that, there is no room, not even an inch, not as small as you think, not as justified as you can make it for sin to exist. And you see, in Isaiah, it tells us what this sin did to the devil. It said, how you, are, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. That word there means Lucifer. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heaven and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depth. At the center of sin is I. At the center of sin is I. And this is why sin is so dangerous because everything that you're trying to justify is honestly an I issue. As I want to be this, I don't want to let go of that relationship. I want this to, I want I, I, I. But God has called us to be a people that recognizes Him. That it says it's about you, God. That I have air in my lungs because of you. 
that I have decided to lay down my life. I have decided to lay down my purpose. I have decided to lay down what I wanted to do and instead pick up what you want for me. Instead live on this earth. As, and we have seen the effects of selfishness long enough in our generation, in our community and in our society that today we take a stand as a people of God to say that we are crucifying sin in our midst. That we are saying, God, because of what you did on the cross, I can now be free from the entanglements of sin. I don't need to be so concerned about I, because I don't know about you. When I'm so preoccupied about myself, I am the worst version of me. If I'm thinking too much of I, I it is too, it's not good. I'm not healthy. Actually, I read this thing on the Overflow Instagram app that they said in the middle of the crisis, the people that fare best are those that help others. And I saw that true in the pandemic. I saw how some of us went into hiding and the church, forgive us, Lord, forgot who we are and we lost our minds and we acted just like the world. But let me tell you, Vive Church, I saw a church here that decided, okay, we can't do church. We're gonna meet in the park. We can't do church. We're gonna meet in the parking lot. We're gonna make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just rest on us, that we've got a message, that we look different from our coworkers that are freaking out, that you're gonna want to come to the God that I have because I have an understanding inside of me that He is greater than what we're facing right now. But that requires a crucifixion of sin in our lives. And a lot of the times, I know some of us can look at this and think, okay, I understand you had to create hell to get rid of sin and the devil and, you know, Hitler and Stalin, all these really, really bad people should go there. But what about my neighbor? They're so sweet. They brought me salt the other day and we just had a great conversation and we're just, I know salt. I don't know why I said that. Does anyone bring salt to your neighbors nowadays? We just Instacart, don't we? We don't bring salt to our neighbors. Yeah, that's a, Okay. But we think of that person that does good and we think of those people and we're, you're thinking of it right now like your coworkers. They're not evil. They don't deserve eternal damnation to be in flames and to be in hell for all of time. And you're wondering why God, if you are so loving, why would you send them to hell? At best, maybe after this, maybe they just don't exist anymore. Like maybe they don't go to heaven, but let's just like let them not exist. But I think sometimes what happens is our sense of justice and our minds as humans cannot comprehend the egregiousness of sin. And the fact is that we are born, when Adam decided to sin and Eve, that we are born into this life with a sinful nature. And you don't have to have kids very long to understand. Mm. Mm. As beautiful as our children are, they remind me, oh yes, our, our baseline, our status quo is not good. We're not, we're not inherently good. I have to tell my daughters all the time, hey, be, be nice to your sister, be kind. I literally, sorry, I came down the stairs and as I was coming down the stairs, Eliana like just goes and whacks Araya. And she looked at me and definitely with the look of, you weren't supposed to be here to see that. Like, and I said, like, come here. And I go to spank her and then I'm like, but I'm spanking because I'm mummy and you shouldn't hit. And it was, it was a whole thing, but... Let me tell you that when you look and you see humanity on its display, we are not good. Any good that we see in humans is because of God. Any goodness that you've existed in, any love that you feel is because of the one who is love, because of his mercy. Any kindness that you see is because of God. It's not because we're inherently good. And so when you are born into a sin nature, you need a, you need a sacrifice to get rid of that nature. If the Bible describes it like this. It says anything you do through that sin nature is like filthy rags before God. All your righteous deeds when you have that sin nature cannot erase it. 
and we don't understand it's because we don't fully comprehend. But sin is not just the act itself. Sure, maybe I'm sleeping around and it's, I mean, it's consensual and all these things, but it's not just that you're sinning with the people here, but you're sinning against God. And when you understand the recipient of sin, that's when the severity of it becomes. When I was little, um, I don't know if there are any animal rights activists. I have repented. I understand every life is valuable. But I would get a magnifying glass and I would burn ants. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, ministry team, I just want to, okay, we're going to, okay. Um, <laughs> but I would burn ants, and I don't know, it's like my way of playing God and be like, I decide who lives and who dies. Like, it was this power trip I would get. And, you know, because the sun, and it was, honestly, I was just a curious scientist of just like using the sun. And we can love because, you know, it's an ant. But if I told you I did that to worms and I would cut them in half, then, yeah. It would, it, would, it would elicit a little bit different response. If I said, well, I did that same act, I would burn and I would cut in half a puppy, then we're not, we're not as much, it's now getting more severe. And if I said, actually, I did that to children and babies, then it would be the most horrendous thing. And that's just to humans. That same act has severity depending on what, who the recipient is. So when we sin against a God who created everything, the God of the universe, who is infinitely holy, infinitely pure, infinitely good, infinitely just, it is an extreme act to sin. An extreme act of sin requires an extreme act of punishment. But Jesus, but Jesus. You see, Jesus steps onto the scene and he says that, I'm looking at these people and there is not an act on earth, there's not a way in the heavens that you're going to able to do good enough to cover even one sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, some of us have, have been sinning and sinning. And, the, and Jesus, you know, the, the Pharisees are trying to act like, you know, we've been doing all the laws. And he says, hey, if you, even if you think, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. That's how, that's how stringent the laws to be pure before God is. Your thoughts have to be pure 100% of time. Your heart, every posture, there is no way we can do it. No matter how good you are, no matter how kind your acts are, there's always a selfish nature. And so... I love it because God in this moment, by showing us the severity of hell, by showing us the severity of sin, then shows us the, sev the severity and the extremeness of his grace for us, his compassion for his children. And it's, you know, there's a song um, ACDC, an Australian band wrote, and it was like a rock, rock song, right? And it go, it's talking about, I'm on the highway to hell. Highway to all, the, all the saved people are like, I never... I never sang that. I was singing saved and sanctified songs. Amazing grace. That's where I was. I was in the amazing grace. But for those of us that dabbled in the secular music, there was, there was this song. And it's funny because, you know, we, we think sometimes that it's God that places people on. He just picks like, okay, you go on this highway. You go to heaven. And no, no, no. The reality is that all of us, the condition that we were on, because of the sin nature we have, we were on that highway to hell. And God looked at that and said, oh my goodness, I'm not going to let them go there. Actually, I just remembered something really, really cool. Turn with me to Genesis 1. Let me prove this to you in the Word, because I can tell you all I want, but let me just, God just show me something. So in when, when oh, Genesis 3, when 
When the, um, Adam and Eve, they sinned, right? They ate the apple and they eat from the knowledge of good and evil. Then they, get, they know that I talked about that before. But there was also another tree in there and it was the, it was the tree of life. And what God does, look at it in Genesis 3. Let me actually just read it so you don't think I'm making it up. It says this, Then the Lord said in verse 22, Look at the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. And what God does in this moment, he takes them out of the garden. He puts a cherub in front and to guard it because he says, I need to have a plan in place so that your state does not stay like this forever. So the same God that already put a plan in place in the garden of Eden so that you will not stay eternally damnation to hell is the same God that is meeting us today that has put this into motion. He does not send people to hell. He rescues them from hell. God then enacted the greatest rescue mission known to earth. And he said, I will become flesh. And let me tell you, Jesus did the only representation that matters. I know we've got a catchy phrase right now, representation matters, right? And, and you know, we can talk about that. But I look at Jesus Christ and I remind myself that that is the true representation that matters. That says, I am going to become like you so that I can die the sin that you were supposed to die. I can become like you so that I can pay the sin that you will never be able to pay. That I will take upon me, it says, the full wrath of God was turned onto Jesus Christ so that we could not experience it, so that we can live free. You see, Jesus did not, God did not put us on the highway to hell, but he certainly built an off-ramp. And the off-ramp was, was a cross. And he said that if you are going to go to hell, you're gonna to have to climb over this cross to get there because I'm gonna make sure that you understand that I am so intent on making sure you don't go. It's not just a little ramp. He said, I'm gonna put my son himself. I'm gonna send my divine one to come down and to die for you. You see, Jesus changes everything. And if he hasn't changed everything in your life, then I'm gonna give you a moment to respond so that he can change again. He can realize inside of you again that he is the author, he is the perfecter, he is the one that when we sing to the King of Kings, he is the one that we're praising because we understand what a wretched man I am, what a wretched woman I am. If it was not for the Son of God, if it was not for the Lord who was on my side, who was rooting for me, who said, get off that highway. If it was not for God that said, I'm going to send an escape plan. I know some of us in here have a testimony of how God took us from depression, how God took us from our deepest, darkest pit, how God has taken us from the pit of hell itself and set our feet on solid ground. See, what we do at Vive Church isn't cute church. It isn't a feel-good message. It's not just for us to be able to get together and check off being good. I've explained and explained, we can't be good enough for God. What we do at Vive Church is a people that come together and acknowledge the only name that is able to do all that we want Him to do, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we come as priests and make our offering before the only one. We bring ourselves, we bring our tithes, we bring our talents, we bring our time and we lay it down and say, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of the all. Holy, holy, holy. And so this has deep implications for us today. Maybe you're in here and you grew up like me. You grew up saved. And you grew up understanding that Jesus is your personal Savior. He's my personal one. I've got a personal fire insurance from hell and I'm good and it's just me and God and I don't need the church and it's all by myself. But let me remind you what Paul says in Romans. 
He says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's where some of us just stop right there. And we are like, okay, well, you guys, you call on the name, you call, you'll be saved. It's in here, you read it yourself. But Paul goes on to say, but how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them without being sent? And this is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. You are carriers of good news. The armour of God isn't just to protect yourself. He says that I'm going to put on your feet the gospel of peace so that you can take it into territories where the enemy may try and intimidate us and say we cannot go there. But I'm wondering if there are two or three people today that have made a decision to follow Jesus and to turn around and to shout, come with me. You see, someone could be outside your house at 3 a.m. shouting, fire, fire. And you would wake up out of your slumber and you would be maybe a little bit annoyed, maybe a little bit disoriented. You're not quite sure, it's dark. You try and get your children, you may stumble your toe and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so annoyed. And you get out and you're shivering. But let me tell you, the question that you're gonna ask the person shouting fire is not, oh my gosh, why are you being so inconvenient? But is it true? Is it true? That awkward moment of waking me up, is it for something that's true? And let me tell you, men and women of God, we have been put on this earth to let the world know that there is an off-ramp and they're not gonna care about the awkward conversation. They're not gonna care about the inconvenience. They're gonna ask you when they stand before the great judgment, is it true? Because Acts chapter three is coming. The final act, there's no act after it. It's when we all stand before the great judge. And it says in there in Revelation, it talks about the book of life. And it's, will your name be found in that book? And let me tell you right now, your coworkers, your neighbours, your friends will be eternally grateful, literally eternally grateful that you sound the alarm and you say, there is a way, there is the truth, and there is a life forevermore for you that you are not being sent to hell, but I have been put into your world to remind you of a God that wants to spend eternity with you. You see, His kindness is so, is He's so beautiful. He's patient, He will go rounds with people. You don't have to worry that people will accidentally find themselves in hell. No one will get there by accident, it's a choice. And you're either in this moment right now, if you've not made that choice, it's on offer for you today. And you can choose to spend eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And let me tell you about that choice because you, I think you get hell is bad, right? Like you don't wanna be there. But sometimes we think that just choosing God is like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a boring life. But God says, I'm gonna give you life and life abundantly. 
that if you seek me first, my kingdom and my righteousness, I'm gonna give you all the other things that you're looking for. I'm gonna give you security. I'm gonna give you joy. I'm gonna give you peace. I'm gonna give you love. That when you choose Jesus, you're not just choosing fire insurance policy. You're choosing a life of joy. You're choosing a life of peace. You're choosing a life of purpose. There's something inside of you that gets up in the morning and says, I am not tormented by hell anymore. I am not under the demonic anymore. I am in the kingdom of God. And there is a way and there is a truth and there is a life that can only be found in the life in Jesus. I'm reminded by Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus is a, is a story we read about. And he, he's interacting with Jesus and he's, he's you know, questioning Jesus and he's telling Him, I believe that God has sent you because I've seen you do miracles. I, I've seen you do the things. I believe that you are from God. And Jesus tells him, well, unless you are born again, you cannot have any part of my kingdom. And I'm wondering if there's anyone in here today who you believe God, your grandma's taught you, your coworkers has taught you, your friends, and you've said yes to Him. But are you truly born again? Is your life transformed? Because that passage that I read at the very beginning, it's easy to think that you, you might be like, well, I don't think it's our works that saves us. So why is Jesus talking about, you know, when did you see me? And when I was sick in prison and you visited me and all of that stuff. But let me tell you right now, this is what He says. He says, Come you who were blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world. When you receive Jesus, there is already an inheritance that you will have. But what Jesus is unpacking here is that a life that has put their trust in Jesus doesn't just look like it, but actually acts like it. Doesn't just think it, but their feet are doing something. That they are gonna find those that are thirsty and offer a drink. That they're gonna find those in prison and go and visit them. That there is a response that our salvation elicits inside of us that requires us to be mobile. That there is a mobilization to the kingdom of God. And Church on this final Sunday at the JCC, if I leave you with nothing else, is that the salvation of Jesus Christ is for the mobilization of the saints, that we will be on fire, that our feet will have the Gospel. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.